Welcome to Marine Lives, a podcast about Mumbai's hidden worlds from the suburbs to the sea. I'm Raghu Karnad. Here's an uncontroversial thing to say about Mumbai. It's a busy city. Some people are busy getting rich and others are busy just getting by. Some people are working hard to be famous and others are working hard to make sure their names don't end up in the news. We're all so busy in fact that even after a disaster descends on the city like the floods of 2005 which killed more than 1000 people we go straight back to our private hustle so then we have more floods year after year and the worst disasters that we know are coming that are guaranteed by climate disruption we have no time to worry about those at all so i really appreciate it when anyone makes our environment part of their priorities and part of their busy schedule even if it isn't their day job saving the planet seems to me like the very best side hustle dia mirza has been on our screens for the past 20 years or so as an actor in films like lage raho munna bhai and honeymoon travels my personal favorite and most recently kafir which you can watch on z5 but for equally long she's been busy supporting efforts to save natural biodiversity and wildlife to fight cruelty to animals and to promote sustainable alternatives and reduce pollution especially from single use plastics since 2017 she's been a goodwill ambassador of the UNEP the United Nations Environment Program and more recently she's one of the United Nations 17 SDG advocates who are described as advocates for people planet and prosperity and she's in there along with people like Jeffrey Sachs Jack Ma and Prime Minister Erna Solberg of Norway So I'm really happy to be talking to Dia about her own campaign for the planet begins in her own home city. Dia, hi, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you Raghu for that very kind introduction and I'm so grateful that you're having this conversation. Thank you. I'm I'm glad we are too and this particular moment uh it feels more necessary than ever because we're you know we're speaking in this very distressing unreal atmosphere. we're in the middle of a second wave of the pandemic and amid all of this human suffering it really feels like we have to learn some lessons there have to be lessons we take away from this so you're an advocate for the environment what is it that the pandemic has left you thinking about oh, of a lot but uh, i think to begin with there is one very sobering uh, reminder and uh, and one that i hope is uh, a reminder for everyone because that's actually something that we've been advocating strongly through this time is the unquestionable connection between human health and the health of the environment yes scientists have been warning us for 45 years maybe even longer about the spread of zoonotic diseases and COVID-19 is a direct outcome of zoonosis which is essentially a virus that exists in animals and would continue to exist in animals and not create any disruption so long as they continue to remain in their natural environment and what were not removed from their natural environments and brought into environments that human beings occupy yes whether it is through the wet markets or through exploitative industrialization where we're losing forest cover and human beings are interacting with these animals or displacing these animals or displacing their natural habitats and causing these animals to move closer towards 
and increase human interaction. Scientists are definitely saying is that it is an illness, a virus that is brought, I mean, has come upon us and has made its way to us through wild animals and uh, for no fault of theirs, really, solely because of just horrible human choices and behavior. And uh, so, so that is one. And the second thing is the undoubted understanding that all human suffering is self-inflicted. We've done this to ourselves. Right. It's because of the way we've, you know, urbanized. It's because of the way we've industrialized. It's because of the way we are growing our food. It's because of the way we are packaging. It's because of the way we're living and we're eating and we're working that has brought us where we are. And um, I hope with all my heart, because I think human beings, unfortunately, don't really sit up and question and ask and do unless they are personally affected by something. And I really hope that this pandemic has personally affected every one of us, especially those who are destroying our natural balance and our ecosystems and our environment. That's a powerful way of putting it. It really has personally affected practically every single person on the planet, like almost nothing we can think of. Oh, absolutely. I, I can't think of a single person who hasn't lost a loved one. And for those of us who have been fortunate enough not to lose an immediate loved one, there has been somebody in our immediate circle of friends or family or colleagues who we have seen suffer. And I hope this affects us deeply. Um, but more than anything else, I hope it spirals us or spurs us on into some kind of genuine action, which is why I think, I, I really hope that People will finally listen to what the science has been saying. People will finally act upon the policy that we've kind of agreed on. People will finally act on, on the agreements that we've signed, you know, the global agreements we've signed. It's very, 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 very um, strengthening to see the kind of participation and action that the youths of the world and the country have displayed during this time. Because there are so many campaigns that we've had some victories on, you know, in, in including stopping the EIA, the draft EIA. Past year and a half has shown us is how much we can change, you know, how much it is possible to make space for the natural world. Last year, the worldwide lockdowns suddenly slowed human activity in, in a way that has surely never happened before in our lifetimes. And equally suddenly, all these natural systems began to recover and, and other species, other than humans, you know, seem to, seem to be returning and getting some of their world back. I heard that ecologists had a word for this. Yeah. Anthropause. Yeah, or the great pause. Or the great pause. And it meant a pause in industrial production and pollution and noise. Obviously, we don't want to do it. We don't want to have to do it that way because there's a huge human cost. But we do realize that we need to slow down human activity in other ways and uh, and find other ways to reduce how much of the earth we're claiming. I'm just curious, were you in Mumbai during the 2020 lockdown? And did you see any of this anthropos with your own eyes? Because we definitely did in Delhi. Oh, yes. I wouldn't miss it. Uh, because I'm constantly seeking nature. I'm always looking up, around, spending time in my garden and looking at the skies. And uh, so the first evidence of this anthropos, the Great Pause for me was how clean our air got. Yes. During this time. We had cleaner air in Mumbai than we've had 
in many years and I've been documenting uh, AQI levels in Mumbai over the last five years and the AQI levels were unimaginable. There was one day when our AQI was better than even Switzerland and I was just like, wow, one wow. would have never imagined that we could wake up to a day where we would actually have pristine blue skies and cleaner air than the Alps in Mumbai. That's right. But what a great opportunity, again, for us to, as human beings, recognize and understand that, hey, you know what? We put the pollution in the air, we can take it out of it as well. I think whether it was, it's the, you know, the reduced pollution levels in the air or the reduced noise levels, pollution levels in the seas, because there's so much um, sonic sound that disturbs sea life every day that we actually don't even question or think about. I heard some some very moving research about how whale song and all of the all of the communication that actually fills the seas, which we don't listen to, suddenly came back and the seas were just in, incredibly rich with anim- with other animals being able to communicate again because they weren't full of this the noise of shipping. I think Raghu it makes you realize the fact that as human beings we've just we're just too many of us and we've taken over the planet really. You know, we've altered 75% of the Earth's surface and we are also kind of occupying just with the sheer in, like density of numbers. We've just, you know, outnumbered every other species. So we've, we've kind of lived with that arrogance and that stupidity that we control everything. We clearly don't because an invisible virus has humbled us. And I hope it's helped us recognize that we co-inhabit this space with many other beautiful creatures. So the, this great pause has happened right um, you know, after this industrial production and this so-called age of industry that has created all that that we have. I found some really interesting stuff online. I don't know whether you saw it. I saw so much of it. The puma sightings in Chile, the jackals in Tel Aviv, the dolphins in the waters of Italy. Then, of course, there were dolphins that have been spotted like just off the coast of Mumbai, like literally at Marine Drive. People saw dolphins, which is unimaginable. Then there is also, uh, of course, we've always had flamingos in Navi Mumbai. But because... The, uh, the sky was so clear during the lockdown. It was like a satin, a pink satin ribbon against the most beautiful sunsets that were photographed by, you know, nature lovers. And it was just breathtaking to see. And Mumbai actually is quite a magical city because we coexist with nature. And we have so much, like whether it's the Sanjay Gandhi National Park, which is like much, much bigger than even Central Park uh, and has... Uh, such a rich abundance of biodiversity. I live in this little pocket of uh, what I call my little biodiversity haven in Pali Hill. Because we have trees that are two, 300 years old, we attract over 150 or to 120 species of birds, over 45 species of butterflies. And it's crazy how Every evening, just because the traffic sounds are reduced, the ambient sounds have like gotten quieter and there's no like construction sound and all of that, you can hear the bird song. Like there are days when I'm talking, if I'm talking to somebody on the phone, they're like, are you in a forest? No, <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm at home. For me, I know I completely agree. For me, the, the most striking, the first most striking thing once the lockdown began was was just having the entire day just saturated with bird song. And you realize, well, that's actually what it's meant to sound. Even in a city, even in the center of a huge me- a metropolis, 
not just in a forest. We live with other species. We live in an ecosystem. No matter how much we build it up, we live in these natural ecosystems where, the, where other species are ready to thrive and are, you know, they, they, they have their own worlds full of, full of talk and song. Yeah, and they support life. They support our life and our existence. I, I want to I take you back a little bit there. Now, you've just done this lovely evocation of how Mumbai is a city with natural life and, and so many of our neighbours are non-human neighbours. Tell us about how you started noticing nature because it's quite easy to ignore it. You know, I've, I've often thought about how in Mumbai we look at the sea as though it's just a view and not a living world that's right in front of us. You know, it's, the sea is an ecosystem. Tell us about your own introduction and how you started feeling for nature, especially living in Mumbai. I actually grew up, I was born and brought up in Hyderabad. Near the rocks? <laughs> the rocks, of course, amid the rocks and uh, spent a lot of my childhood climbing these rocks and climbing trees and plucking fruit off trees and, you know, uh, spending most of my afternoons and evenings, especially during summer vacation, uh, amid nature and my both my father and my stepfather were very outdoorsy loved nature so yeah trekking and camping and uh, horse riding and even when we would horse ride there'd be mornings where we'd go off into Banjara Hills which our Jubilee Hills at that time there was nothing there no no homes nothing so we would actually just you know go right by streams and rocks and uh, I have memories of spotting cobras uh, while I was swinging with my mother and watching them go by and feeling no fear. Yeah. One of my first uh, interactions with nature was actually a pet python, a little python that the carpenters had rescued. So it was brought home in a tiny little tic-tac box. My father and I would go out looking for spiders. Was and it insects. newly hatched? Yeah, I was newly hatched and uh, was found alone and the mother was nowhere around. So the carpenters picked it up and brought it to us. So then he finally released this python when it had grown to about this size because then it could kind of take care of itself. And I actually grew up feeling no fear for lizards or you know how people kind of tend to build these things. phobias, especially urban kids. Yeah, have phobias and. So none of that. And also went to a beautiful school called Vidyaranya High School, which interestingly translates to Forest of Education. And uh, a lot of our classes were done outdoors. It was set, like the, the principle, the philosophy of the school was to encourage children to engage and interact with nature, much like Shanti Niketan. And so we did spend a lot of time learning under trees, watching squirrels and birds. And we had this hill which is still there actually in the school uh, that leads to Birla Mandir but has like one of the most incredible indigenous trees and biodiversity. So we used to go bird watch on this hill on many mornings. So I think being awake to nature was intrinsic to who I was right from childhood. But moving to Mumbai must have been quite a change then. It was a very big change and I think uh, one of the most sensible things I did at the time was find a home that had these beautiful trees that I just mentioned in a garden because I just couldn't imagine life without nature. And for some reason, I imagined my whole life in this building <laughs> at 21. <laughs> but um, it was when I started engaging with Bittu Segal and Vivek Menon, who is the CEO of the Wildlife Trust of India. And Bittu, of course, is my mentor 
and he's also the founder of the Sanctuary Nature Foundation and has been the editor and publisher of uh, Sanctuary Asia and Sanctuary Kids for many, many years, that I realized that there was just not enough conversation and participation from people in the media yes. on environment and wildlife protection and how important that was and how necessary it was to kind of mobilize that advocacy and that understanding and that engagement because that in turn would influence and impact the way children were thinking and then hopefully impact how parents were making choices so i kind of vehemently chased chased them because they looked at me at the time thinking that you know that's just an actress she's showing some interest she'll be gone before we know it <laughs> too much of an uphill task and she won't survive it but i chased them i chased them for a long time and then they finally realized that okay this one really means business and now we've been working together for almost 15 years 11 and 15 years and uh, we've done some very very important work together and it's uh, been life altering for me raghu because i think in so many ways it's kind of defined my purpose and helped me understand that i can use my craft my voice my access to people to actually make a real difference and in so many ways it's now kind of tied into everything i do everything yes. from the way i live every day to i hope the kind of parent i will be to my child to the kind of homemaker i am or even the kind of choices i make at work you know the kind of brands i associate with or choose to associate with and over these 15 years i mean of, of course the 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 decision to focus more attention on the environment that that was just must have been confirmed again and again and the pandemic is just this final is this culminating event that just has turned our world upside down and told us that we can't keep ignoring things and and uh, and pretending that the way we live is okay you know until before the pandemic there was frustration there was immense frustration because for all those of us who work for ecology we've always been perceived as obstructionists and there there are very few people who actually understand the importance and the urgency of the work that we, you know that is being done or needs to be done the good side i mean i guess the positive of this pandemic is that now without doubt, doubt more and more people will recognize that this is not obstructionism this is a matter of our survival yeah and it's the only way forward yeah yeah as a you know as a goodwill ambassador for the unep you of course uh, you meet a lot of people who are very creative and dedicated fighters for the environment and i'd love to hear uh, you tell us about one of those people or any particular green initiative that you support and that that's made an impression on you there's so many people uh, raghu anyone linked to mumbai specifically in mumbai there is just one person i mean there are lots of people i can think of but there is one person who i think has he's changing the world and he's he's also kind of taken his mission to the world in a way that very few people have been able to achieve within their lifetime afrosha it was actually eric solham who was the uh, director of the united nations environment program at the time who flew down to mumbai when he heard about afros and actually drew the world's attention to afros's work and then subsequently that year he was awarded the champion of earth can you tell us about his work yes of course so afros is a lawyer from mumbai grew up 
in Mumbai. And when he was younger, he would go fishing with his father to the, the creeks and the river creeks that were lush and green and biodiverse and beautiful and clean, free of plastic and all the stuff that we find in our, what used to be rivers and now gutters. Yes. Uh, and it breaks my heart to say this this way, but this is the exact truth. And uh, he had memories of spending time on Versova Beach where he would spot dolphins and, and, and be able to swim in the sea and the water was really clear and clean and the sand was pristine. And now the beach was covered with um, human defecation and just millions of tons of plastic right. embedded into the beach. And he has single-handedly turned that beach around so much so that through his weekly cleanup drives, he's impacted change at a global level and contributed to what has become a very important campaign, Clean Seas, hashtag Clean Seas, and hashtag Beat Plastic Pollution. He's involved a global community. He's educated people. Because once a child goes and becomes a part of this cleanup drive and finds fruity and chocolate wrappers and straws and... Uh, chips wrappers, they start questioning their consumption. They go back home and say, can I do without this? Because clearly it has nowhere to go. Or the people who should be accountable for this stuff are not picking it up. And it's ending up in our seas and it's destroying our sea life. And, and it's, uh, I think that physical action of cleaning up the beach every weekend, week after week after week, and then achieving that goal of cleaning it up completely. Of course, every time the ocean is angry and we have a storm, the plastics come right back. But they're easier to clean now because they're not embedded in the sand anymore. It's all been pulled out. At least that stretch of beach that Afros took adopted with his volunteers and his community has just grown over the last three years. It's become more than three years now, my God. His work is humanitarian. It's exceptional. It's selfless. It's Gandhian. It's Gandhian. I, I, the way you describe it is so moving. and it... His mother got COVID. She's lost an eye. Despite that, that man, after the cyclone also, was out on the streets helping the BMC clear trees that had fallen in the cyclone. I don't know if I've met a man who cares as deeply as he does. He, I mean, the love and the empathy and the care... And the sense of responsibility he feels and the fact that he's faced unprecedented opposition, political, social, religious. I mean, you could at every level, but nothing. He's just been unstoppable. And I think that's the power of purpose. You know, when you really and genuinely do something from a place of love, nothing can stop you. Did you know, it takes an example like that to, to connect how much labor and commitment change really requires with how much is actually possible, how much can come out of it. You can turn a stretch of, of ruined coast and return it to, to its beauty and, and bring back a beach. With One person can do that. And like him, there's Healing Himalayas. There's an amazing human being called Pradeep Sangwan who's working in the Himalayas. And he's actually tackling the root cause of plastic pollution in the Himalayas. So he's setting up waste management centers. Right. So there's one thing that Afros and Pradeep and all of us have been really hoping 
to be able to see through within our lifetimes, which is uh, extended producers' responsibility. Fantastic. And get the governments to sign off on a policy that they all agree on that can hold industry accountable for the waste they're introducing into the world. Uh, because otherwise, there's really no way of dealing with this. Uh, we can, people may say that cleaning our cleanups are tokenism. No, they're not. I think they have a very big impact on human behavioral change. And also, I think in many ways, they've made these companies recognize how much waste they contribute to the environment and hopefully kind of shake their conscience a bit. Thinking in terms of actual business economics, if you make the cost of the waste part of the equation for producing, then there's going to be much less waste. And if you make it free for for industrial producers, if you make throwing, dumping things into the sea, you know, downstream free, then... No one's ever going to stop. So it's thinking in practical terms. That's a concept I think a lot of people won't be familiar with, but that's really handy uh, and a really useful tool already. And another one, which I'm not going to ask you about because we will run out of time, but one that you've talked about that I think is fascinating is having options to decarbonize investment portfolios. Thinking about how instead of taxing everyone's income, we can tax everyone's carbon production and consumption so that the place where we're levying tax is the cost that we uh, that we personally that are responsible for um, placing on the environment. These are big ideas, and I'm sure you'll be talking about them many different fora. So we'll be paying attention. For now, I just want to ask, like Afroz Shah, it's a lovely example. It reminds me that a lot of change can only happen collectively and globally, but some changes need to begin with our personal lifestyles. You know, we don't want to take away from the collective struggle to avoid climate disaster. But we also want to begin making change in our in our own lives, especially if we are privileged and if we are people who consume as unsustainably uh, as people do in the so-called first world. And I know I'm one of those people. So I wanted to ask uh, if there are particular personal changes that you favor, that you encourage people to make in their own lives, uh, which you would encourage anyone who's listening to start exploring. Honestly, Raghu, I think it's important to walk the talk and it's because as urban dwellers, there will be many things that we may not be able to achieve, but there will be many things that we can achieve. And some of those are understanding, I think, two things, two very important campaigns that I hope people actually kind of go and look up. One is uh, the campaign hashtag generation restoration that we've just launched on World Environment Day. It essentially encourages every one of us to understand that our lives are connected to nature and everything that we do, every action we take has an impact on nature. So individual actions matter and they count. Yes, big industries have to change, without a doubt. Policy and government and law makes a difference, yes. But individual actions account for a lot as well. And these could be as simple as growing more trees, following a more plant-based diet, refusing single-use plastics, questioning your consumption and your patterns of waste, segregating and managing your waste better at home, composting your wet waste, making the switch from unsustainable produce to sustainable produce, eating local buying local, wearing local, thinking about the extent of waste that you're creating in your life so that actually makes you buy less and waste less. Uh, You know, you think about just food waste, for example, 
an estimated 931 million tons of food, which is 17% of all food available to consumers. And it's equivalent to about 23 million fully loaded 40-ton trucks went into trash cans in 2019. Is this worldwide? Yes. While 690 people, million people around the world go hungry. Yeah, chilling. Right? So... When we stop food waste, for example, so actually have a real list of what you're going to consume when you go out to purchase. Don't do it because you get excited about something that you've seen on the shelf and you want to have. I've been there. It's a waste. <laughs> so and remember that when we throw away food, we're also wasting the energy that took to produce it, grow it, package it, transport it. And all of it causes CO2 emissions. So that's right. I think... It just all starts with awareness. And uh, another two things that I think I'll be very powerful contributors at an individual level, which I hope more and more people will do. Please support organizations that work to protect wildlife and ecosystems and forests. Not enough people do it. And there are people laying their lives down, like people in the army, the navy, the air force. Yeah. These are green soldiers and they are fighting for our life and our survival every day. Support our green soldiers. I like that. And the second thing that you can all easily do, we can all easily do, get involved, engage with governments, question policy, question politics, question question things that we need to. And push for a, for a greener politics. And make sure that the governments across the world make green politics a very important part of their agenda. If they're not including environment and climate action as topmost priority, it means they don't care for your health, they don't care for your education, they don't care for your equality, they don't care for your progress, they don't care for your growth. And your children and your grandchildren, especially. Thank you for for putting it so eloquently. And uh, I think that the other Sometimes when we're doing very little, we can think about what an enormous problem the world faces and it can can just make you feel despair, it can make you feel hopeless. But when you start to make little changes, that actually gives you more momentum. It makes you feel that more and more is possible. Part of the reason that we that, that we make changes to the way we live and the way we consume isn't necessarily to save the world, but it's to change ourselves, you know? Yeah. And uh, you're a fantastic... Uh, role model. So thank you very much. I'm just doing my best. I think you are, and I feel, and it makes me want to do my best, and it makes me want to learn more because you've all, you've also just, you've just shared a few ideas just in a in a very short chat. There's there's an amazing site available online which I think everybody can hit up. It's on Instagram, Twitter, everywhere. It basically gives you 17 options of sustainable living. Okay. And things that you can do at an individual level. So when you say, what are the choices I can make? We can just look those up. That's a good place to start. Thank you so much, Dia. It's been a wonderful conversation. I hope people will will start following some of your suggestions today. I hope so too. It'll be wonderful because our community is growing and together we, we shall overcome. Great. Thank you very much. And I'll end with it with a line that you uh, that I once heard you speak, which uh, still rings true. You said, "We stand on the threshold of change. The door is open. The science exists. The solutions exist. All that requires is for us to walk through that door." Thanks, dear. Thank you.